0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito
1: Welcome into the Card Chronicle podcast. Wednesday, October 21st here. Uh, Mike Rutherford in Louisville, Kentucky. Dan Sennard dumpster dancing art in columbus ohio uh rutherford's actually gonna visit the Snards here pretty soon dan Uh, have you have you started making preparations for our arrival
0: i'm actually very nervous for this because i like when i moved of course all my friends including me at the time when i moved kind of dog columbus ohio um you know it's ohio it's cold it's gray um So, and since I've been up here, I'm not going to lie, it has grown on me a little bit, but I, I still know that even when some of my friends visit, especially you, even if it turns out to be like, you know, like Hawaii, you would still probably dog the city of Columbus. So, um, I'm going to try to put it on a pedestal as much as I can roll out the red carpet. Um, it's, it's going to be breeders cup that Saturday, We'll have apps. We'll have gambling. So it's, it's basically going to be all you can ask for. I would like Jim Tressel to greet me
1: when I arrive. Right. Um, <laughs> I would like Maurice Claret to drive me around when I'm there. I'd like an appearance by the Columbus Blue Jacket mascot at some point um, for a photo op. I, I'd enjoy that. I said when you moved away, because I was I, – I, I, I'm not a good friend. I'll fully admit that. I, I'm a good friend to the point where it benefits me. And I don't. I'm not happy for my friends when they move away because you moving was a bad thing for me. So I was against it. I swore that I would never ever go to Columbus to visit you. And the only reason I'm doing this is because our wives coordinated it. So I'm, I'm not exactly thrilled about it. I'm gonna have a good time, but I, I fully plan on dogging on Columbus as much as I can while I'm there in front of
0: both you, your wife, and your kids. You're the thing. Like you're gonna come up here. I already know what's gonna happen. You're coming in like November when there's literally nothing going on. It's going to be cold and you're going to walk out of there and be like, Oh my God, this place sucks. Like you got to come in the summer. We got the Memorial tournament. We got, you know, places to go. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't get my expectations up too much. I'm sure they're not, but we have, we do have to say, even though I I've visited Columbus a lot since my wife was from here and I live here for two years, I have still never been to an Ohio state football game, which, Cannot be the – how do I phrase this? You have been, and I haven't. I have, and it was actually
1: awesome. Um, I went to – and you can find this clip on YouTube if you don't remember it. It was, I guess, 10 years ago. Uh, Mary has family in Columbus, and we went up to visit them, and we went to the Ohio State versus Ohio game. And it was the game that – the only reason you might remember this game – is because the Ohio mascot attacked Brutus the Buckeye before the game. <laughs> and it was the kid who said he'd been planning this for, like, four years. He uh, signed up to be the mascot or to be a, a cheerleader, whatever the process was, when he was a freshman, with the sole purpose of he circled the game in 2010 on the calendar and said, that's when I'm going to attack Brutus Buckeye. He actually failed out of Ohio and had to go to, like, a different school. And they <laughs> somehow still let him be the mascot. I don't know. what, But it happened, like, right in front of us. Like, he – Attacked Brutus, tried to rip his head off, and like everybody's kind of laughing. And I look over at Mary and I'm like, I don't think that this is planned. Like I, I don't, I don't think this was something that was talked about beforehand. And then he goes back after him, like tackles his ass, like throws a haymaker, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely. And people are booing him. It was great. Uh, Ohio State won, I think like 49 to nothing. But that was the only memorable moment. But yeah, I enjoyed my one time in Columbus. But early November in Ohio, look, I went to Dayton for two years. I got my fair share of cold Dayton, Ohio weather. I'm I fully plan on just ripping Columbus a new one for two days. I'm excited about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it should be fun. Now let me ask, and not to get too off topic. I'm guessing you tailgated for the Ohio State game, correct? We did. We actually, one of her cousins lived uh,
1: at the time, really close to the stadium. So we just kind of we drank over there for a little bit, and then went to. Um, a couple of the bars, like right next to the stadium where everybody goes and it was fun.
0: Yeah. And and the reason I'm bringing this up is my wife drags me to, you know, a Michigan game usually once a year and we tailgate, um, right outside the big house, like on a golf course, I've been to tailgating Ohio state. And I mean, you and I, we love tailgating at, at Cardinal stadium Um, but my God, do we have a long way to go in the tailgating department? If we ever want to reach some of these top level schools, I mean, a tailgates as fun as you make it, but as far as like scenery and and things to do, you know, having it in the middle of a parking lot, it it just doesn't really hit the same as some of these other schools. It's a little bit different. Uh,
1: it's a little bit different. The best part about, um, the Ohio game, um, We were – another one of our friends, Mud, was actually up there that weekend too, and he was hanging out with a a friend whose dad used to be the quarterback's coach at Ohio State, and she was a cheerleader, and she knew everybody. Terrell Pryor pulls up in front of a very crowded bar after the game, and like this – I mean, I don't even remember what car it was, but it was a car that I will never be able to afford, and – the, the girl that we're with who knows him is like, Terrell, like, wh- how, wh- how'd you get that car? And he's like, ah, and just, like, drives away. Like, laughs. <laughs> and, away. and everybody just starts laughing. I'm like, they're not even trying to hide anything here. Like, this place is just completely corrupt. But what are you going to do? Uh, go, buff. Big Ten football. Yeah. Um, Louisville football also back. We're going to talk a lot about the Notre Dame game today and just kind of where we are uh, overall. I, before we get into the the ins and the outs of what we saw Saturday in maybe the fastest college football game ever played. Just sort of a broad conversation. Louisville now is 1-4 and four overall, 0-4 in the ACC. This is a team that had, you know, a little bit of top 25 buzz going into the year. They were picked to finish fourth out of 15 teams in the ACC. There's no way to describe the first month and a half of the season as anything other than a disappointment. But I feel like Louisville fans are kind of in a weird place with this. It doesn't feel like a, a normal collective reaction that we would have with this situation that like there's hasn't been a whole lot of just extreme anger there hasn't been a whole lot of criticism criticism set in the direction of Scott Satterfield or the coaching staff or even the players in particular and I think it's just it's also there's not any of the like well it's basketball season kind of what we grew up with when the football team would lose a couple of games early everyone just shifted their focus uh, to, to basketball there hasn't been a whole lot of that either I just think there's kind of a a weird malaise within the the fan base that is sort of indicative of where we all are as a, as a country, maybe even like the the entire world, just everybody is just so overwhelmed with, with everything going on and has been for so long. It's hard to get overly worked up about, sports. And I don't know if that, I know I'm not speaking for everybody. I don't want to throw a blanket over everybody listening to this. Like I watched the game on Saturday. I've watched every game and I get super, super frustrated, but it just feels a little bit different. It doesn't just stick in my mind as much as it would during an ordinary season. It just kind of feels like I don't know. It's not a fake season, but it definitely it's impossible to watch everything going on to look at college football and feel the same as you would, you know, five years ago. Or hopefully, if we can get back to normal, five years in the future. I mean, am I alone? Do you kind of feel the same way? Where it's like this sucks. I'm mad about the season, but this whole season kind of feels
0: not all that real anyway. I don't know. Yeah. No. I I I uh I'm in somewhat agreement with you and. I think there's a bunch of different factors of maybe why we're just kind of blah about how the season has, has gone so far. Uh, I mean, first off, when it comes to college football, like you said, after we lose some of these games in the past, like you said, it would kind of stick with me all day. I think about it at night, you know, it would, it would stick with me all the way up until kickoff of maybe the next game. And honestly, I mean, it is really hard to get, I I do get, you know, excited to watch Louisville play, but just having these type of atmospheres um, that they play in, it's it's really hard to get juiced up. And um, I just think college football, uh, uh, you know, a big part of it is the the experience, the you know, the the sellout crowds, the tailgating and everything like that. Um, but as far as like how we specifically, specifically feel about this season so far, even though we know it's been somewhat of a disappointment, it's kind of almost like our fan base is starting to mature from the football side. Cause I think as we were growing as a program, maybe like 10, 15 years ago, like you said, we, everyone would have already turned the page to basketball by now. But I think they, you know, our fans are starting to, you know, they're smart enough to realize that. Hey, I know we did have a good season last year, but, you know, from a talent standpoint, we're, we're probably not where we need to be. We're just looking for a team that, um, you know, is, is close knit and is maybe showing improvement. And obviously after last game, um, it was good to see them not just roll over and, you know, seem like you're going to go on a downward spiral the rest of the season. They played hard. I know they came up short, but um you know i i'm still i i still think and i know like i hate saying this like five games in when we're one and four but i still think like we can have um a nice end of the season here with what i saw on saturday but um there there's very little margin for error but i was um somewhat encouraged on saturday
1: yeah i mean it's just- I guess to the broader point, like I'm not as into like I, I still get as excited for every Louisville game, and when I'm watching it, when I'm caught up in that moment and, and kind of immersed by the actual game, it feels like it always has. It, it feels a little bit normal outside of just noticing, you know, there being half as many or you know 20% fans in, in the stands and, and all that stuff. Like it still kind of feels the same watching the game. Just like overall college football. football I'd be lying if I said I'm as into it as I usually am. Um, I'll have the games on Saturday night. Like I watched a little bit of Georgia-Alabama. But just when you have this bizarre landscape where – games are getting postponed or just outright canceled because of COVID outbreaks. And you've got, you know, the big 10 hasn't played any games they're playing this weekend, the PAC 12. uh, People still don't really know what's up with that. Like there's no clarity on how the postseason is going to officially work as far as which bowl games are going to be able to get to be held and how the tie-ins are going to work and everybody's eligible, but will everybody get picked? It just, it's, it, it all feels weird. And for that reason, I guess it's hard to be as, upset with Louisville having a disappointing start as I ordinarily would be. And maybe that's just a coping uh, coping mechanism to – because if Louisville was 5-0 and right now and in the top five, I'd probably be calling it like the greatest season of all time and this is, this is wonderful and let's break down Ohio State and their first game and all that stuff. But I don't know. It just – everything still feels inescapably weird right now. And I'm sure that's going to extend to basketball too because if there have been COVID outbreaks that have postponed football games, I mean, basketball, you've got 357 teams – People are trying to figure out scheduling. There are going to be dozens of games that just get outright canceled. And I think it's going to be easier with basketball to lose those games because they don't matter nearly as much as one specific football game just because the sample size is smaller and you've got less of a postseason. But I don't know. It's just it's all been one roundabout way to say. Everything still feels weird. I was hoping it'd be normal uh, late October with sports being quote unquote back, but it just all feels uh, still strange.
0: But this is like the biggest cop out ever. But like if we were going to have a down year, like I'm glad it's this year with what's going on. Oh, for sure. It it, it doesn't seem like there's going to be nearly as much excitement around, you know, the college football playoff or maybe some of the bigger bowls um you know so if we if we had to pick a year to do it fine do it this year you know slowly start building the program back up to where it needs to be and hopefully all this passes you know god knows when but hopefully it's sooner rather than later
1: let's talk about the actual game itself saturday afternoon um like i said earlier insanely fast game it took like three hours to play which is ridiculous for a college football game. And it was because it was, it, I mean, if you're an outsider watching this game, I saw Bill Connolly, formerly of SB Nation, now writing for ESPN. And he was like, this is the first time this year where I've had a uh, unplanned nap during a game. Thank you, Notre Dame and Louisville. Like if, if I had no rooting interest in this game, I, I don't know if I ha- would have been able to watch it for more than you know 15 consecutive minutes because it was just moving a- at a glacial uh, pace in terms of uh, excitement. It was a quick pace in terms of the actual clock, but neither team really getting too exciting with its uh, taking downfield shots, a lot of running the ball, a a lot of penalties, uh, especially on the Louisville side of things. Uh, Frustrating on a number of fronts for Louisville, but 12-7, the final score. I think Notre Dame finished with seven possessions and Louisville had six. Um, It's just I I want to tackle the game by listing two positives and two negatives. Um, and I'll start with a negative so we can end on a positive, but I, I think the biggest negative from this game is just the sheer fact that Louisville lost means that it's now basically an impossibility for Louisville to have the type of season that we were hoping they would. Uh, I mean, most people going into the year were saying eight and three, seven and four. There were some nine and two uh, predictions floating around there. Louisville now at one and four there there's, like you said, there's zero margin for error. They have to win out if they're going to even come close to meeting preseason expectations. So it, Winning this game, knocking off a top five undefeated team would have been a a nice change of pace. It would have been something you could hang your hat on and maybe a sign that things are going to get exponentially better moving forward. Didn't happen. And now, I I don't know, I I, I tweeted it out after the game. There have been worse starts to Louisville football seasons. There have been more painful starts to Louisville football seasons. But this one just feels as frustrating as any I can remember because – there've been opportunities there and there certainly were opportunities on Saturday, but that was just kind of my main takeaway was we're too late and we're too in disadvantageous a spot to be hanging our head on moral victories. If this was week two, fine, but it's not. And so I don't think you can, re- I didn't get too excited with the, well, the defense was great. We played better. We're showing signs of improvement because the game that was there for Louisville and it would have been a huge, huge thing for them to win it.
0: Yeah. I kind of differ with you on the, the moral victory side of things. I, I was hoping at some point as a program, we would be past moral victories. Um, but, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, when you have as as many coaching changes as, as our university has uh, as, as from a head football coaching standpoint, um, it, you know, you're going to tend to have ups and downs. And right now we're just, you know, I know we had the successful season last year, but it just seems like, Um, you know, we're trying to dig ourselves out of a hole. And for me, at least I'm just looking for anything to hang my hat on. So uh, I know you said you're not taking away the defense, you know, playing good as, uh, you know, obviously would I rather win? Yes. But I, I am very encouraged with how the defense played. Although I don't know how much of that was Louisville's defense versus Notre Dame's absolutely vanilla game plan. Um, I was very uninspired with, Not only, you know, their offensive weapons, but their play calling overall. I don't think book besides the touchdown run that he had, he had one big completion. And that was like a a third or a couple third down completions on that last drive. But I was definitely not impressed with him. But I'll I'll take the defensive improvement. Hope that we can carry that on the rest of the season. Um, I know we're especially on the defensive line. I thought we played a lot better. Um, and man, our guy Monty Montgomery, I don't know what was, I mean, I know he had the good first game against Western. Um, it seemed like he was maybe a little bit quiet between then and the Notre Dame game, but they just unleashed him on Saturday and he was an absolute beast. So was it disappointing? Yes, it was very disappointing, but, um, I'm hoping that we can carry what happened on defense, um, over into the upcoming weeks and, Whatever is going on on offense. I mean, I know we had very few possessions. I know it was windy, um, but my God, I mean, we we got to be able to score more than seven points. Sometimes
1: it, it's it's hard to watch a game and process it and see it through the the eyes of the opposing fan base. This one wasn't the case. Like Notre Dame fans were not thrilled with this game, and it was really easy. I mean, while watching the game, I'm like, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I'm I'm pulling the little hair I have out uh, right now. It was. You got the sense that they wanted to kind of work on stuff against Louisville, which is it's sort of embarrassing that we're an opponent. that You can do that. But they have not been able to get their passing game going. The rushing game has been fantastic. And it was obvious that Brian Kelly kind of wanted to get Ian Book some confidence because they were they were doing us favors every time they threw. They were coming out and they were running for, you know, eight or nine yards on first down and then like a 12 yard run here or there. And it was obvious that they could just run the ball up and down the field on us, at least at the beginning of the game. But then every time their drive stalled, it was because they tried to do like a play action. They got a little cute with the play calling. And if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I'm going crazy because of that. And then the the fake field goal was one of the dumbest calls that I've seen. in a.
0: That, was, that was awful. What do you that do? was it's really like, dumb.
1: It's 4-9 from the 12 or 13-yard line. You're up six. It's near the end of the first half. We get the ball to start the second half. You have what I believe is the least athletic holder in the history of college football. And you call a direct run for him? I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong, but if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I, I don't know what the hell Brian Kelly's smoking. It was a really bizarre game plan for him. And, and then at the end of the game, it kind of felt like a like like a pickup basketball game where you're playing against like a like a ten year old and he's kind of like making too many outside shots. You're like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna end this thing down. I'm gonna use my foot height advantage and just back this kid down." and make sure I don't have the embarrassment of losing. That's what Notre Dame did. They just started running the ball every play. We couldn't stop them on third down, and they had an eight-minute drive to end the game. It was just... I, I, I know that people have said nationally this game was more about Notre Dame than it was about Louisville, and that's easy to understand, but it still felt... I, I don't know. Like, Do you feel differently about Notre Dame now and their chances of making the college football playoff and competing with uh, Clemson to win the ACC
0: than you did going into last weekend? Oh, 100%. I mean, it... it you know, I know football is a week to week thing and maybe they just had a bad Saturday, but I, they, they showed me nothing that says that they can compete um, in the upper echelon of some of the top teams. I mean, God, that game was right there for the taking. I mean, I, there's three, three things that stick out in my mind that I just kind of kept me up at night. One, and I know he's a true freshman and he's played well, but I mean, our guy Renato Brown these, these personal fouls yeah. are killing us, yeah. buddy. I mean, they just can't happen. I mean, that was we were. It seemed like we were finally moving the ball a little bit. And then, I mean, and it was
1: Like,
0: he literally just shoves the dude who's standing there right in front of the official
1: five seconds after the action is stopped. I was like, what the fuck are you doing?
0: I know. God, it was. Uh, and I know he had one the previous week at Georgia Tech. And I'm sure that Ledford and they're not going to put up with that shit. But that one hurt. The god, the touchdown scramble. Well, first, we'll get to that second, but I mean, the onside kick. We can talk about this. Yeah, let's do I it. mean, God, it. I. I mean, to come up with like the most obscure find on a replay review, like, and I. I do. I mean, people were bitching about Tarico and Dungey. Like, I think they're actually pretty good. I mean, um, you know, I, I think it's hard to find a lot more or announcers that are more prepared than those two guys, but they failed to mention, you know, Hey, you can't be blocking 10 yards before the kick. And honestly, I was just looking to see if the ball went 10 yards. So when they called that, I wanted to be so pissed. And I was like, wait a second. Is that, I think that might be right, but God damn it. Um, I mean, that one, God, that hurts so bad. But what a, what a call by, by Scott, I swear, I like stood up. I was like, Scott, you son of a bitch. I I totally did not expect that at all.
1: Who's the wild man now? (laughs) That's Uh, exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Shout out to Favreau. Um, Like, the the worst part about that was nobody saw that coming. Like, usually when there's a, a big overturn on a replay, like, everybody's watching the game and everybody kind of tweets out the same thing. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Like, that may have been. I felt like nobody even knew this was a reviewable thing. I don't think many people knew it was a rule. And so like when they came, like everybody's like just looking to make sure that the ball went 10 yards, that it didn't touch any of the Louisville players before it did. And so we're watching this and we're like, all right, our ball. Like I'm, I'm already thinking like, here we go. We got all the momentum. And when they reverse it because of that rule, it's just such so deflating because nobody saw it coming. And I couldn't help but think about, I saw all the West Virginia sites were celebrating the 15 year anniversary of the, um, the 46-44 2005 win over us um, back in Morgantown, our first year in the Big East, and remember we got fucked by by basically them not enforcing that rule. West Virginia did that onside kick where they kicked it straight up in the air and they like drilled our guy and the Big East had to write us a letter of apology the week after because there's a rule, you know, you can't block down 10 yards downfield before 10 yards, and you also have to give the guy room to catch the ball. You can't hit him before he has a chance to field the the ball. And so it was kind of like the same rule then that we didn't get the benefit of that fucked us here, and it was just so, so deflating. And you knew right away that, like, this was going to be the thing that we all look back on. Like, right when that moment happened, like, I hope I'm wrong, but I feel like we're going to lose a close game. And we're all going to look back at this call and say that was the difference. And sure enough, uh, I mean, who knows what would have happened, but it certainly felt like momentum definitely swung right there. And there were a couple of other calls that just, uh, again, I'm not going to blame it all on the officials, but it it was a home whistle at Notre Dame Stadium. What are you going to do? I mean,
0: every run replay I saw, I was like, all right, well, we're getting held again. I guess every time (laughs) it was it was truly staggering. I was like. I mean, I guess good for Notre Dame, you know, to, to to you know harp on their O-linemen to do this. If they're not going to get flagged, I'd be doing the same thing. But, like, my God, it seemed like every one of our D-linemen was, like, trying to pull away for a tackle, and they were just stuck there. I was like, well, I guess we're just going to have to do this shit all day. But, I mean, like I said, I was really happy with the defense. The, the one thing that stood out to me was – it just seemed like we were running through every ball carrier, like every tackle we were running through the ball carrier. Unlike past weeks, where it seemed like we would like break down in front of a ball carrier and either be juked or they would just run right around us. And the only time it seemed like all game where we didn't run through it was on that scramble by Ian Book into the end zone where Chandler Jones just kind of broke down right in front of him and and Ian Book just sidestepped him right into the end zone. But I mean, I'm not I'm not going to get mad at anybody on the defense. They played good overall. And, I mean, the offense, they, they just didn't really have a lot of possessions. They didn't really throw the ball downfield. Notre Dame held Javion in check pretty much. I think he had, like, 51 yards. At just, you know, a very, you know, vanilla performance. They had the one good drive that, you know, seemed like everything was clicking. But I don't really know. We, we just couldn't get it done.
1: Yeah, so – I said we we're going to do two positives, two negatives. That was kind of, we sort of jumped around the first negative there. I think the, the first positive though is the Louisville defense, no question about it. And like, like I said at the beginning, like I'm not, it, it doesn't override the fact that we lost, like like my excitement over the way the defense plays played did not override my just overall disappointment uh, over the fact that we had a chance to have a really big win and, and didn't get it done. But It's impossible. I I didn't think the defense was capable of giving an effort like this at any point this season after what we saw in the first four games. But to hold Notre Dame to 12 points, only one offensive touchdown. Um, You mentioned Monty Montgomery. He was fantastic. He's now in the top 10 nationally in sacks. He had 13 total tackles in this game. Uh, Jared Goldwire was really, really good a, a week after getting benched for DesTel uh, at, at nose tackle. He played, I, I thought, a really good game. Isaiah Hayes, the much maligned Isaiah Hayes, uh, had a good game as well. Rajay Burns had a big tackle. Uh, he he kind of haven't heard his name as much as you'd like to this year. But I guess the question for the defense moving forward is, was this more about the things that we talked about with Notre Dame, the vanilla play calling, maybe trying to get their, their passing game going a little bit more, or is this – it's obviously a step in the right direction for the defense, but how much should we read into it given that Notre Dame kind of had a, I don't want to say off game, but just didn't do the types of things that we expected them to do against Louisville. I mean, how big of a deal is
0: this for the defense in your eyes? I mean, honestly, it's hard to say. I I mean, it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I guess we'll know more after this Florida state game. I think it was very key um getting Clark back um and the defensive secondary I thought he made a huge impact on the game um and like I said it just seemed like they kind of let Monty Montgomery roam a little bit more than maybe they have in in weeks past or that could be the case of you know just being a little more freed up because the defensive line played well I have no idea but I mean I would take it as a positive but I honestly, I don't know. I haven't watched enough Notre Dame to know how good they actually are, how bad they actually are on offense. So um, I think this week will, will be a big sign for us. Uh, um, and we'll get to Florida at some point. But uh, I, I saw that we were favored by nine uh, as the opening line, which shocked me. But um, I think it's come way down since then, but yeah. it, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, on Saturday, just how much this performance carries over. I hope that we continue to let kind of
1: like use Monty Montgomery the same way that we did on Saturday. Cause I, I think it's telling that you've had a couple of former players that are active on Twitter. Now I, Gigi Robinson is the first one I saw who I, I, I guess it was during the Miami game in week two, who was like, Monty Montgomery is our best offensive player. We got to do more with him. Like, he, he can't be on the bench. He, he needs to be starting out there. And I, I know that he has, still hasn't been uh, starting every week, but he's, I guess, you're seeing the defensive staff find better ways to use him. And that was fully evident on Saturday against Notre Dame because he was, uh, without, I think, any question, the best defensive performer for the cards. We've got one more negative and one more positive to get to. Before we do all that stuff, got to tell you guys about our first official sponsor, Homefield Apparel. If you'd missed it over the weekend, they dropped their new line of U of L stuff. It's their first line of U of L stuff. It's fantastic gear. And I'm excited about Homefield Apparel being a sponsor of us because it's the first time that I've ever endorsed a product that I used before they, they approached me about anything or approached a radio station about anything. I have, uh, I said this last week, I've got a bunch of Homefield Apparel stuff. I've got a, like a Bucknell shirt, a North Dakota state shirt. I got a Vermont hoodie that I love. Uh, and I would keep, have kept buying their stuff if they'd never launched the Louisville line or never partnered with us. But I'm going to buy even more now that they've got U L gear going on. If you haven't checked it out, go to homefieldapparel.com. Look at the Louisville stuff. They've got these really cool retro designs. The shirts are really soft. They don't shrink in the dryer. They've got hoodies. They've got ordinary, uh, ordinary sweatshirts. And if you want to buy in bulk, I suggest you do that because for your first purchase at Homefield Apparel – you can get 20% off by using the promo code Card Chronicle when you check out. It's all one word, uh, Card Chronicle. I know it's a little bit hard to spell there at the end there, C H R O N I C L E. Use that, get 20% off your first purchase. Uh, share the share the word out there. Homefield Apparel, unique vintage collegiate apparel on the most comfortable tees and hoodies you'll ever wear. Shout
0: out to Homefield Apparel. We're sponsored, Dan. How do you feel about that? <laughs> That's awesome. And the fact that it, I mean, I absolutely love wearing college apparel like even if it's not my actual college team me and you did it kind of all growing up through uh i mean we still do it but you know yeah. we we definitely like in college and stuff i i used to wear like a colorado buffs hat i had a domers notre dame <laughs> notre dame domers which which uh a lot of people found that nickname funny but um yeah i i've i've seen this stuff it's awesome um the louisville stuff uh is ridiculously cool and yeah it's awesome
1: You've previously admitted on this podcast that you were in a fraternity, and now you're talking about your domer's hat. Funny <laughs> people thought it was in college. You're trying to make everybody who listens to this podcast.
0: Uh, no, yeah. Go ahead and hate me. It's fine. <laughs> All
1: right. Uh, the, the second negative that I want to get to from Saturday, and it's been talked about a little bit. I, I just felt like and it is not specific to the Notre Dame, Notre Dame game entirely, but our play calling has been – too predictable this year. And it was too predictable on Saturday. And I, I think it was one of the biggest assets we had a year ago was it never seemed like opposing defenses had a great idea of what we were going to do on first down or, or third and short. It seemed like we were always keeping a, a opposing defenses off balance. And that hasn't been the case this year. I mean, first down, it seems like we're always running off tackle or inside tackle or you know straight handoff. And, and just like that's not going to work against a team like Notre Dame. And then, you know, when we get down around the goal line, and it worked in this game, but we always run the same little fake handoff, throw to Marshawn Ford play, and it just seems like the words out. Maybe there's more film on Louisville than there was a year ago, and that's why you've seen defenses being or looking like they're more prepared. But I, I wish we would mix it up a little bit. I, besides the the special teams fakes, the fake punt and the onside kick this week, there've been very few times where we've done something where I'm like, oh that. I was genuinely surprised. I didn't see that coming. The wheel route I thought was a great play um, to to set up the only touchdown that we scored, but by and large, we have become too predictable on offense. And I think that's a big part of the reason why Malik Cunningham's numbers are are down significantly. Why we're not putting as many points on the board as we thought we were going to be heading into the season.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And um coach Satterfield, he pointed that out in his press conference, press conference how uh, he, he needs to get better, better on better first, on first down. down. You know, when they're stacking the box, he just can't try to run it up there, even though that's kind of their MO. Um, they gotta do a better job of mixing it up. And I, I know I and people are probably gonna hate this reference, but like one of my favorite things, and I know this is a different sport and everything, but one of my favorite things um when, when Rick Petino coached at Louisville is he always kept me off balance whether like I had no idea what he was going to do from like a scheme standpoint. And then even in his post game, like I, I never expected like what he was going to actually say. Like we would win like 71 to 40 and look dominating. I'd be like, Oh man, I can't wait to hear Rick after the game. He's going to like talk about how good the defense was. And then he'd come on, he'd be like, well, if we play defense like that, we're going to be out in the first round. (laughs) And I'm like, what? Like I like totally, I'm like, what? I don't know what he's saying, but like You know, I'm not saying I don't want Coach Satterfield to come out and admit his mistake that, hey, you know, I was too vanilla. I got to change things up. Like, I just sometimes I just feel like I know what he's going to say or or what he's thinking. And, um, you know, I just I I would like to like you said, I want him to I want him to keep everyone off balance and um, just mix things up because right now everything's too predictable. I would love when
1: Russ Smith would score like 35 points and be like, (laughs) Angel Nunez won us this game, folks. <laughs>
0: like, exactly. Like it was my favorite thing. I miss it so much.
1: Like over three from the floor with two major free throws and one rebound. It's like Angel Nunez won us this game, guys. And we're like, what? <laughs> what? Uh yeah. God love the man. Um no, I'm with you. But I I, I like that Scott Satterfield admits stuff like this. I, I like that he's open up front about it. It's one it's been one of the more refreshing things about Scott Satterfield being here is you never feel like he's feeding you bullshit like when the team I'll I'll never forget when they first started their uh their initial spring practice session back in February two years ago and he he he'd go on the radio and he I mean he wouldn't say like we fucking suck but you could tell like he would use words that would be like well, we're not nearly as good as I expect a program uh, at this level to be. And he was just kind of shocked by it all and didn't mind saying it. You know, we got a whole lot of work to do, and the players are shell-shocked and all that stuff. And I think him coming out and saying we got to do a better job of of play calling on first down is a big deal. I mean, we've had had way too many times – Not just on Saturday, but this entire season where it's been, you know, second and 11 or second and 12. And that was um, a a big problem when we would lose games under Bobby Petrino was a we had, you know, false starts that would put us at first and 15 or we'd have um, a a backwards lateral that just didn't work or, or some fluke play attempted trick play that didn't work. And It wasn't an issue last year. It felt like we got big chunks on first and second downs, but uh, has not been working this year. Penalties definitely played a part in that as well. Malik Cunningham, maybe not being quite as solid as he was a year ago, has played a part in that, but that's got to get improved. Um, The second positive that I want to talk about, uh, I loved the kicker, James Turner being caught on on TV. (laughs) Multiple fuck yous. Don't know who he was talking to. Don't know what the context was, but he came up short on a 52 yard field goal. His first miss of his college career, Somebody said something, and he was gonna let him know about it. And he did the, uh, the he got the Luke Smith treatment from ESPN uh, back in the College World Series a couple of years ago, with the camera just caught him in slow mo dropping multiple f bombs. That's how I like my kickers, uh, Dan. I, I like my kickers doing that.
0: Yeah, we've gone from like kind of what the fuck special teams to swaggy special teams like in just two weeks. Um, really, have. With, the, with with the new punter and and uh, yeah, Turner just. Obviously, yeah. Anytime, I mean, you're a kicker and you get caught like with a slow mo like running your mouth. Um, that's just something that that kid can hang his hat on the rest of his career. He can play that for all of his friends for the next 20 years and be like, "Remember when I absolutely talked shit to Notre Dame and just <laughs> jogged right off the field even though I missed it?" <laughs>
1: I mean, it's, yeah, it was his first miss of any sort. He hadn't missed an extra point, hadn't missed a field goal. And after his first miss, he has maybe his biggest highlight as a Cardinal. Just, we're kind of becoming known for this. Just uh, open fuck yous on national TV by players that you, I mean, Luke Smith, God love him. He's a badass. He looks like he's, you know, a freshman in high school like does not he looks like squints paladores like he does not look like a guy who should be saying fuck you to the entire dugout of the eventual national champions and yet that who he is and then we have a kicker in arguably the most famous college football stadium against maybe the most famous
0: college football program just saying telling everybody to go fuck themselves and I'm all for it why not. And to be honest, I know, I know he missed it, but he, I mean, he obviously was inches away. He's had a great year for a first year kicker and I'm totally excited about just kind of having him, um, you know, as something you really don't have to worry about um, knock on wood um, in years to come. I want
1: a five foot two women's walk on on the basketball team to tell Gino R.E.M. to go fuck himself. That, <laughs> that's the next step. Like, we've, we've already got a couple sports knocked out. Now it's on Jeff Walls' team to get that job done. Um, speaking of basketball, have you seen the picture circulating this week of – what I guess are going to be Louisville's uniforms this year. Um, There have been some practice videos. Our guy Carly Jones won the gold jersey for the first week of practice. And then Charles Minland, the uh, other grad transfer from San Francisco, Francisco, posted on his IG story yesterday, I guess, videos of Carly Jones for some photo session. And the tops look fine. They look like kind of what we've worn in years past, block L's on on white jerseys. The shorts (laughs) have the – biggest cardinal head i've ever seen right there kind of on the right ass cheek and i don't know how you
0: feel about it dan i'm not a fan i mean does chris just love like oversized cardinal bird heads like the practice floor is enough i mean it's i guess it's pretty cool it's a little bit overwhelming but my God, we don't need a whole cardinal bird taking up one left ass cheek um, for our our basketball team. I mean, I saw him and I was like, Oh no, take my eyes, but not the shirt. Like it's <laughs> literally the, the worst. I was like, God, please tell me this is some kind of prank and it's just some sort of practice uniform because, I mean, I, I you know I know they put a lot of work into those and I you know maybe maybe the kids like them and I have no idea, but. To me, yeah, they're they're not working. I'm not I'm not vibing with
1: them. The only thing that I I can say, the only maybe dose of positivity is remember the you know we always get new uniforms for the postseason for the conference tournament and then for the NCAA tournament. If you saw like the the Louisville women's team, they got to play in the ACC tournament. It was the week before the men's tournament was supposed to be last year, and they wore uniforms that looked a lot like that. They had the big cardinal right there on like sort of the like, the thigh. I wonder if those are the same uniforms. The uniforms that we're wearing for like the photo sessions and for practice are the ones that we were supposed to be wearing for the postseason last year. Maybe that's just me being overly hopeful. Maybe they're recycling them for this year. But that's kind of the only thing that I'm clinging to because those are maybe the worst shorts that we've had since the infamous Ass Rainbow back in 2005-2006, the NIT season. And in the Adidas Ass Rainbow, it'll never be worse than that, but these are pretty bad.
0: I mean, if those were the shorts that we were supposed to wear in the ACC tournament, I mean, I don't want to say it's a good thing that the <laughs> ACC tournament was canceled. But let's just say I would have been pretty pissed off if I saw us take off our warm-up and that's what we were representing. Oh, uh, the only
1: other hoops news that we have um, this week, again, scheduling still getting sorted out right now, the Louisville bubble. We found out via Shannon Russell, not Sharon Russell, Dan, of the Courier. I know
0: I I hate that I made that mistake. (laughs) Shannon Russell reported
1: this week that uh, Western Kentucky, as of right now, no longer going to play in this Louisville bubble. They're still trying to figure out if they can work it out. um, Scheduling wise, their calendar, I guess, is a little bit filled up uh, in that first couple of weeks. That leaves the bubble now at eight teams. If you include Louisville, they're looking for one more to add. Um, That's really all we have. We don't know the ACC Big Ten matchups. We know we're going to play Kentucky on the day after Christmas. That's where we are scheduling-wise. But practice is officially going on. Um, I know that you've said this in private. I'm doing the same thing. Like the little like 45-second clips that the social media – <laughs> the amount that I overanalyze stuff, I'm like, ooh. I'm like, Carly's got to the right front, David Johnson. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe David's got to get the lateral quickness back. Like I'm overanalyzing everything I can. I'm clinging to what I've got.
0: Uh, I mean, the fact that Carly Jones already has the gold jersey, I'm like, all right, so we know he's first team all ACC, but is he an all American (laughs) yet? I I, I still need to see more, even though I've only seen like 10 or like two five second clips of him. But I am just dying for any bits and pieces of Louisville basketball practice news I can get. So if there's any insiders out there um obviously please tweet at me or i I need to know anything i can get my hands on um coming into the upcoming season do we have a uh do you have a dan in the dump store this week not a good one and (laughs) i've got my first i got my first win in our fantasy football league so i'm not going to go winless um so that's good now and i hate i don't want to be the guy that talks about fantasy even though i'm doing it um I'm in two leagues. My other league, I'm in first and I went to bed Monday night as a, uh, half point Victor to stay in first place. And I woke up with an ESPN stat correction with a loss. Um, uh, maybe the worst feeling you could possibly have. So I'd yeah. say that's my day of the dumps, but nobody, nobody wants to hear about that.
1: I like that. It's, I've been on, I've had two games decided by stat corrections over the years. One, one lost the other one. And, uh, both times it feels weird, but losing certainly way, way worse. Uh, we got a new review to read here. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the pod yet, please do so wherever you could listen to podcasts and give us a, a five-star rating if you can. If you want to write a review where you can say whatever you want, we're probably going to read that on the podcast. And our, our new review for this week, this is one of the best ones we've ever got. I think you agree with this. Uh, the headline, the title of the comment is, Ears Bleeding, But It's Okay! Exclamation point. So we're already off to a great start. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing already. The actual uh, review is, Mike Rutherford and post-pubescent bad luck Brian talk about their favorite bird-themed stories from what sounds like a storage unit in the mega caverns. They walk the line between fatherhood and alcohol and <laughs> fandom to perfection. A plus, 10 out of 10, two thumbs up, go car. That's a perfect review. It,
0: it really is. Um, what? Sorry, what was the guy that wrote the review? What was the name of it?
1: The name is Henry Bathtubs.
0: Yeah, uh, I want I want a Cards jersey, 99 Bathtubs. Like that would 100%. <laughs> like I can't even describe how badass I would be walking in with that thing. But Uh-oh. okay, so that that and not not to um, go back to Dan in the Dumps, but I'm going to. So the the postpubescent <laughs> bad luck Brian. That that reminds me of, of a story. Um, so me and you played on the same freshman year, high school baseball team. And let's just say I did not play a lot. My freshman year, (laughs) I was, I was a bench warmer, but I talk. I mean, we, we discussed basketball, how I kind of like to keep the team loose to say I did that times 30 in baseball would be an understatement. Like I pretty much dicked around the entire season. So one of the things I, I like to do Was I would always take a bat and I would interview anyone on the team like an actual like they're if they're going to bat I'd interview before they're at bat if they you know had just uh, scored a run or came off the mound I would run out like and greet them with the bat like a microphone and I'll I'll never and you might you might be if I butcher this you can correct me but like maybe the the most intimidating one of the bigger guys on our team. Um, shout out Chris Protenic if, if he's if he's listening. But I'll never forget it. He grounded out to first base and I have no idea why, but I think I ran out of the dugout like and almost greeted him at first as he crossed first base. And I, I feel like he had gotten along with this whole joke the whole season. So I stuck the bat in his face. So I said so, Chris, tough crowd out there. You got a word says get out of my face you no pubic voice bitch and like as as serious as it could be and i have never dropped the bat and gone back and just kind of like <laughs> called up like in a hole more in my life i was like interview's over guys
1: i believe the exact quote was <laughs> fuck you danny you yeah. no puberty ass motherfucker that, that's and exactly to what put a little bit more context in it this kid shout out to pretendic like again was drafted to play professional hockey while we were still in high school. I mean, easily the scariest guy on our team. You, again, thinking you're a little bit more funny than you actually are, like, you're not overselling it. You sprinted out of the dugout and literally stuck the bat microphone in his face I think right after he crossed first base and you're like, "Chris, quick thoughts on the ground out there." And it, <laughs> the look on your face when, when he said that, just all the comedy just flowed from your body immediately and you were a shell of your former self. It was a I uh, I honestly think
0: system. I That's shut that. down the interviews for maybe the rest <laughs> of the season after that and we just stuck with say by the bell trivia in the dugout.
1: <laughs> oh, shout out to uh, Dave Averly and the 2000 Fresh Freshman baseball team. A crew like yeah. no other. All right. We're going to be back later this week. Uh, Keith's going to be on with me. We we didn't have a chance to do it last week because of uh, some scheduling stuff that both of us had going on. But he's going to be back to talk a little bit more about the Notre Dame game and then to preview this weekend's game against Florida State. Until we talk to you next time, please subscribe to the pod and go Cards.
0: Go Cards. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.